This is how we do it. Da, 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 da. Oh, Sam Central does it like nobody does, right? <laughs> is that what? <laughs> this is true. <laughs> This is how we do it. It's Sunday night. <laughs> it actually is. It actually is Sunday, except it's Friday night in the song. You know what comes on tonight that I got Wesley to watch, but you probably haven't seen yet? What? Lovecraft Country. Wes has started watching that. It's very good. I almost chose the book for that for this episode. Really? Mm-hmm. It, I didn't even know it was based on a book. Based on a book. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. The third episode killed me. It was amazing. So... I'm excited to go back home after this and watch the next episode. And that's relevant to today's topic. Wow. Wow. Owen Wilson. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Kobe, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Corey? I'm great. Listeners, how are y'all? We'll we'll wait. Go ahead and answer. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's that's awesome. And uh, Denise, I'm so sorry to hear about that. You know, I I wish I wish your mom all the best. D nice. D nice. (laughs) Hey, be nice, be nice to (laughs) D-nice. Joshua, how are you? Joshua. (laughs) Okay, so this is Booked on a Feeling. Both cast if you're nasty. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I stole that from you. I know. We're going to say that from now on. It's okay. (laughs) Um, This is a podcast where we talk about books and how they make us feel. Yes. And we get way too in detail about the books that we cover, but that's okay. Yeah. So, spoiler warning. Yeah, so if you came here just for, like, an offhanded book review, that's not what this is. This is a non... This is not a non-spoiler review. This is a spoiler... Chock full of spoilers. Exactly. So, if you're allergic, back up. No, don't back up. Listen, maybe. I don't know. Do what you... Do you. You do you. Yeah, you do you, but, like, please stay and listen. (laughs) Really appreciate it. (laughs) Today, we're talking about... uh, discrimination yes we are going to be discussing books about discrimination i'd like to make a little bit of a of a of a fly fly did you say fly or did you say fyi a fly fyi why are you why are you sounding it out phonetically i don't know i got it from a tv show i think and i always thought it was funny i forgot (laughs) what it was from though anyway that's the point stop stop distracting me okay i'm gonna take a drink okay this episode is about discrimination it is not lost on me nor on Corey that we have never experienced these types of things that we're about to talk about but we are both learners we want to learn about these things we want to be able to sympathize so please don't come for us on social meds okay this is all in the name of of education of broadening our horizons yes because that is what this is about is just getting to uh getting to understand the world a little little more each day exactly yep okay so let's roll into some icebreakers yes you want to go first you want me to i'll go first because i went last last time okay and you said that this is not relevant to the topic this is not relevant okay what is your go-to karaoke song oh my go-to okay so i never do karaoke ever yeah i never do you you never noticed every time we go out you and wesley like y'all sing but i do not 
I don't oh. get up in there and sing. But I do have a go-to song. Okay, what's your that song? I, that I would sing if I were ever called upon to do the karaoke's, um, and that's Budapest by George Ezra. Budapest. Okay, I've never heard that song. Sing it. Really? Yeah, sing it. <laughs> my house in Budapest, my my hidden treasure chest. Oh, it's some indie fucking piano. song. Of course it is. Of course you'd choose an indie song to sing. Wow, it's a good song, but it's a great song, and it's it's in my wheelhouse, which is why I would sing it. That's true. <laughs> this gonna sound real white girl of me. I think I know what it is, because I think I've heard you sing it. Well, it's Eminem. Oh no, never mind. <laughs> is it? I'm gonna it's make... just lose it. It's okay, just lose. I was gonna. I was just gonna... lose it by Eminem is my go-to. I know all the words. I can rap it backwards and forwards. Probably not backwards, just forwards. But that's real white girl of me because I I know for a fact that every college girl probably knows the words to that song. Are you ready for my icebreaker then? Yes. So mine is relevant to the book that I chose and one of the characters in the book, but it's not really relevant to discrimination. Okay. People do crazy, ridiculous things to fit in. Yes. Um, And in the book that I chose, one of the characters goes through a grueling several hour process every day to make herself kind of look a little bit more like the accepted um, socialite. Okay. So my question for you is, is there anything that you've ever done that looking back is just ridiculous or embarrassing that you, like, why would you, why would you do that to your body just to make yourself look like not to get too deep, but is there anything um, I can go first to set an example if that's. Yeah. Cause I've, I'm, I've never really done anything to fit in. You always like, been an outcast. I guess so. I will admit I do get eyelash extensions Shout out Angela, you the best girl. And she also microbladed my eyebrows. But I did those things for me because I like those things. They make me feel good about myself. Okay. There's And like I've gotten tattoos, but they've all been tattoos that have deep meaning to me. You're and not getting tattoos to fit in with any sort of no, group or to no. ma- impress somebody no. is kind of what I'm... Okay. Okay. I can tell you uh, when I first went away to college, I... um got my ears pierced and I as much as I I mean I like a good ear ear piercing as much as the next person I did it specifically for one reason to fit in with my new group because I had just recently came out and it was one of those things that was like well you know gay men have ear have pierced ears so I need to go get my ears pierced I just thought of one okay I so I wear glasses. You know this. Yes. I didn't start wearing contacts until my senior year of high school. I didn't have any desire to get contacts because I didn't think that they were important, but I got made fun of a lot for my glasses. Look at that four eyes over there. Am I, I mean, right? pretty much, <laughs> which is dumb, but... It is stupid. It's true. I also got made fun of a lot for my freckles. Yeah. And so I tried really hard to cover them up. And then now everybody and their fucking brothers going out and getting tattooed freckles. Yeah. Like go through this, go through the hell that I went through in middle school with everyone making fun of my damn freckles. Yeah, I was, I was a very freckly child as well. And I wore glasses and I actually, I had gotten contacts and I had begged my mom to get contacts for me. And I never wore them because they irritated the living hell out of my eyes. Okay, I think that's it for the icebreaker round. So let's uh, get into the coin flip. 
listeners, this is where we flip the coin, the coin, to determine who gets to go first. And Kobe always fucking wins. Not today, Satan. That's what I say. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Hands together, living like a prayer. Not today. Well, we're halfway there. Yeah. (laughs) Do you want the Kobe or Corey side? What side is it on now? Right now. Right now it's on the Corey side. I want the Corey side. (gasps) You did it! Yay! Yay! Kobe Zitos, you did it! That's oh, an yes. app, by the way, so it's like really easy to determine who's, <laughs> who's gonna get it if you just go based on what the thing is. So yeah, you know, you had a fifty-fifty chance. I did have. Well, actually, tech, that's why I said statistics. Technically, not really. It's more likely to land on the same side that it that is already facing up when you first slip it. Apparently. Don't come at me, I might be wrong. But that's what I had read, so that's why I chose my face, because that was the face that was on the top. Okay, so my book. Oh, oh, wait, 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 I'm sorry. <sighs> By the way, just another foie. I got it wrong last week. It's not Forbidden Love by Tabitha Suzuma. It's just Forbidden by Tabitha Suzuma, so. Oh, yeah, I'm sure people are yelling at you for that. Please don't. Please don't come for me. I'm so sorry, Tabitha. It's okay. You corrected yourself. Okay, I wanted to correct myself before we moved forward. Yes. All right. So my book. Oh, my God. So excited. Okay. Ever since literally last year when we decided to do an episode on discrimination, I knew I was going to do this book. Okay. I I knew I had picked this book in my mind literally day one. I was like, absolutely no other book to choose Um, because I've been personally wanting to read it for like the longest time. I underestimated the length of it. It's actually, and for me, it's very long. It's over 500 pages, uh, and I was actually shocked by that. So it is The Help by Catherine Stockett. Bitch, I love that book. Have oh, you you've read the book? I've read the book. I've watched the movie. I love both the book and the movie. Yeah. Oh, my God. Minnie, <laughs> my spirit animal girl. Yeah. Emma Stone. Oh God, I'm so excited. Everything okay. about I'm that. I'm so excited. So, I'm upset. You want you win. You. I don't even need to go. You already win. <laughs> <laughs> I have been wanting to cover this book forever, and I'm so happy that I got a chance to because, Lord, this book was so good. It's a lot. <laughs> it, it was so good though. Um. So a little bit about the author. Catherine Stockett was born in Jackson, Mississippi, in 1969. Um, she, and I saw this in an article, uh, with the Atlanta magazine saying that she had received over 60 rejection letters before finally landing a publisher, uh, which happened to be Penguin Books for this. Uh, this is the only novel that she's written and, uh, it was inspired by her own time with their family maid as she was growing up and their family's, uh, maid's name was Dimitri. So let's get into it. I do want to say, like you had said, you prefaced at the beginning of this episode, it's not about us. Yeah. It doesn't matter how we feel. We just, I just want to highlight um, this incredible work of fiction that, that happens to deal with a very touchy topic, and that is discrimination in the Deep South in 1960s at the beginning of the Civil Rights Movement. So the book spans two years, and it follows three women, Abilene, who is a housemaid, Minnie, who is also a housemaid, and Miss Skeeter. Um, and Miss Skeeter is a white uh, woman. She's a socialite. 
who had just graduated from college and had moved back home, hoping to advance a career in journalism. Uh, the book starts in 1962. Abeline is taking care of uh, her seventh, I th- believe her 17th white baby, uh, Mae Mobley. And Mae Mobley is nothing like her mama. She's chubby uh, where her mom is thin. She is kind-hearted where her mom is kind of cold and aloof. Uh, and Miss Elizabeth Leifolt, who is Mae Mobley's mom, has the baby blues, which is you know, postpartum is actually a yeah. very big thing. So Abeline at the beginning talks about her son, Trelor, who had died at age 24 after losing his footing and being crushed by a truck. He was not so much rushed, but just taken to the black hospital. Um, Didn't he, they take him in the back of a truck? Yeah. They had thrown his body in the back of a truck and dropped him in front of the white, uh, the, the colored hospital and uh Trelor, died before Abilene got a chance to even say goodbye to him. It's very sad. And when that happened, the world went black to her. And, uh, you know, she was, she was very accepting of the way things were for colored folk in the South. And she was not so accepting after that, a bitter seed was planted in her. Um, now the book starts with a uh, bridge club. And Bridge Club is just uh, something that these white socialite women got together to do. And it was Miss Skeeter, Hilly Holbrook, Elizabeth, and uh, Hilly's mother, Miss Walters, who's elderly. Now, they all get together, and Hilly is trying to push the Home Help Sanitation Initiative. Do you remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, oh my God. Oof. I got, I was livid reading what was what it Mm -hmm. detailed. Um, But basically she is trying to push that all houses get a separate colored bathroom installed essentially outside for, for the help because they carry different diseases, quote unquote. Um, It's it's nasty. Which is untrue in every sense of the word. Oh yeah. There is no disease that actually can live on a toilet seat. Just fly. Yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway, so Skeeter, who's a little bit more, she's a little bit more educated than the other women. Uh, Mm -hmm. She's a little bit more unaccepting of the way things are. She just turns to Hilly and is like, you know, we ought to just build you a bathroom outside, you know, kind of see how you like it. And of course, Hilly doesn't take to that, but they're still best friends. So they don't take kindly to that. Yeah, she don't take kindly to that. I'm surprised you're not talking in your accent. No, I thought about it. I did think about... Uh, but a Texas accent is much different than the deep... Sa- anyway, I'm sorry. Sidetracked. <laughs> um, also, this is a much different time. After the bridge... After they play bridge, which I don't know how to play bridge. It's a card game. That's all I know. I don't okay. even think they actually play bridge. I think Mostly they just, just talk. No, they do. They do play bridge. Because they... We, because they weave it into their conversation where they're we like, we play like a goldfish club. Like we just play goldfish, goldfish. It's go fish. I said goldfish, like the goldfish. snack that smiles back. <laughs> so <laughs> Abilene is a uh, very untrusting of, of course of all white women, but she's also untrusting of Skeeter and uh, Skeeter who is still in the house after they're done playing bridge while the other ladies are outside asks Abilene just point blank like if she wishes things would change and of course Abilene you know she doesn't want to answer that like she's she's a colored maid in Mississippi yeah, and Jackson yeah she's like this like, is she, a trap exactly I ain't gonna no exactly <laughs> she felt she felt trapped 
after Abilene's shift that day, she gets on a bus and Minnie, who's her best friend, Minnie Jackson, is joking about the white woman that she serves. And uh, her name is Miss Walters, so Hilly Holbrook's mother. And she's joking about Miss Walters, but she doesn't like it if anybody else talks about her because she owned the rights. Because that's her, that's her white woman. So nobody else can talk <laughs> shit about... I love about, Minnie. She's yeah, my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Um, Minnie later calls Abilene and says that Hilly, she's panicking, she says that Hilly is putting Miss Walters, her mother, in a nursing home. And she's spreading lies about Minnie, saying that she's a thief so that no one can hire her, so that she can come in and dock Minnie's pay and hire Minnie because Minnie's the best cook in all of Jackson. So Hilly wants Minnie, her mother's maid. So Elizabeth Leifolt leaves, and uh, they have started constructing the bathroom for Abilene. And one of the workers, who happens to be a colored man, comes up and is you know asking for a glass of water and of course Abilene gives him one but she makes sure to give it to him in a paper cup not glass because she knows that you know Miss Leifolt won't like that and the man asks you know is there like anywhere I can do my business I need to go to the restroom and she they they both think on it and it's kind of ironic how they're building a colored bathroom and there's bathrooms in the house but there's nowhere for him to actually go and so she has to tell him to, he has to do his business in the bushes. And I I wanted to include that because I thought that that was just, I mean, that, really that right. Really ironic. Yeah. Um, Celia Foote, who is new to town, uh, she's another white uh, socialite. She's from Sugar Ditch. She calls while Miss Leifolt is still out, and she asks about the benefit that the Ladies Junior League of Jackson, Mississippi is putting together. Isn't that the character that... Jessica Chastain plays. Yes, and she's electrifying in that performance. Electrifi- I love her in that performance. Yes, okay. effervescent. Effervescent. Um, Celia Foote also asks about help because she is now staying on her husband's plantation, the Foote plantation, and she doesn't have any maids. And Abilene, knowing that Minnie needs, you know, a job now because Miss Walters got put in a nursing home. Abilene lies and uh, pretends like Miss Leifolt's in the other room and is calling out and is saying like, oh yeah, tell her to hire, tell her to hire that mini girl or that mini lady. And um, so she suggests Minnie. All right. So that was all through Abilene's perspective. So mm-hmm. now we're going to jump to Minnie as she is getting hired by Celia. She goes to the foot plantation and uh, she's just, she's very thrown off by Celia's character. She doesn't seem like the other ladies in town. She doesn't seem as put together. Uh, she's covered in flour because she's trying to bake a cake that fails drastically. Um, and she's barefoot in her own home, which Minnie thinks is trashy. And I'm like, I'm barefoot in my home all the time. <laughs> all day, every day. All day, every day. Minnie flashes back to the first white lady she ever served at for, uh, 14 years old. And uh, she talks about the rules that her mom had told her before her first day. And rule number one is the white lady is not your friend. So you don't complain to them. They don't complain to you. You don't listen to them. They don't listen to you. They're not, they're not your friend. Number two, don't get caught using their toilet because they will freak. Number three, use a different tasting spoon when you're tasting the food that you're making for them. Because if you use the same spoon and the same pot, you got to throw it out. Rule number four, use the same plate, cup, and utensils and put it in a special place in the cupboard. 
and don't use anything else. Number five, eat in the kitchen. Number six, don't hit their children because they want to do their own spanking. And number seven, no sass mouthing. So don't talk back to them. And on day one, Minnie was fired from her first job because she was complaining about the white lady wanting her to hand wash the clothes, then use the washing machine. That makes no <laughs> damn sense. So oh my God. Some time goes by. She's working for Celia. Things are really weird. She isn't, she, Miss Celia is just kind of a very odd character to her. And she doesn't understand why Miss Celia never leaves the house. She's always laid up in bed or she's always in the house, but she's always so happy and cheery and, you know, is they're doing cooking lessons because she's trying. Um, and I guess I should mention Johnny Foote does not know that his wife hired a maid and they're keeping it secret from him. Mm-hmm. And Minnie is freaking out because she's <laughs> like, he's going to come home and shoot me. Like he's going <laughs> to see a black woman in his kitchen. He's going to shoot me. <laughs> And Celia is like, I'll tell him right before Christmas. Like, I'm not going to tell him. So, like, months go by and Johnny Foote doesn't know that there is a maid cleaning the house and cooking the food that he's eating at night. Now, let's talk about Skeeter. Skeeter was born Eugenia Eugenia Phelan. And uh, she was nicknamed Skeeter by her brother because when she was born, she was long and spindly and she looked like a mosquito. (laughs) And... Honestly, I got to say, Eugenia is like the most Southern Belle name, but also the worst name (laughs) you can give somebody. No wonder she goes by Skeeter. Her mom, Charlotte Phelan, is desperate to get her married. And uh, at age 13, because Eugenia is not that attractive by normal means, someone at age 13 calls her ugly for the first time. And uh, her maid, Constantine who she's extremely close with, consoled her and said that ugliness is what's on the inside. Skeeter had been told her whole life uh, what to believe, and in that moment she realized that she had a choice for herself what to believe. And I think that that right there is just like with her maid, like that was the start of her coming to realize that life is not black and white. Like there is no... Literally and figuratively. Yes, exactly. While While Skeeter was away at college... Her and Constantine would always write and catch up with one another. And the last letter she ever received uh, by Constantine Constantine said that she had a surprise waiting for her. And after she graduated and returned home, uh, Constantine was gone. And they had another maid named Pascagoula. And her mother told her that Constantine had quit them and moved to Chicago. And there was no goodbye. So, of course, Skeeter doesn't fully believe this. She's thinking, like, what the hell? Like, why didn't she write me? Skeeter gets a letter from Harper and Rowe Publishing in New York, and uh, she had applied to be a journalist for them right out of college with no experience, and the editor, a uh, Elaine Stein, told her that because she had the gall to apply for a position with no experience, that's why she was writing a personal letter back to her and said, write about what bothers you, you know, and get some experience. And so Skeeter gets a job at the Jackson Journal, and uh, she's writing for the Miss Myrna column, which is basically a cleaning advice column. And uh, against her better judgment, she tells her mother, and Charlotte Phelan wastes no time telling her daughter that it's ironic that her of all people is going to be giving advice on how to keep house. (laughs) Because she doesn't have no man, she doesn't have no house, no children. So Skeeter, after getting this job for the Jackson Journal, goes to Abilene, 
her friend Elizabeth Lee Foltz made to ask for advice. Abilene tells Skeeter that she thinks Constantine was fired because of her daughter, which is also shocking to Skeeter because she didn't know that Constantine had a daughter. Uh, she knew that Constantine was of mixed race. She had a black uh, mother and a white father who apparently, you know, according to her, loved her very much, um, which is good. It's, you know, didn't go the route that I, I was afraid it would. So she mm -hmm. did have loving parents. Skeeter uh, receives another letter from Miss Stein at Harper and, Bro, Harper and Row, telling her not to waste her time on trivial topics. And at this moment... Skeeter's upstairs in a room and their new maid Pascagoula is knocking at the door and she looks at the black and white photograph on the back of a book and she gets her idea that she's going to write a book from the perspective of the help. Now, let's go back to Abeline. She reminisces about a boy who she raised who she had told one time that she was colored because she drank too much coffee. <laughs> And, and, uh, the, apparently she ran into the boy when he had turned into a man, he was older and he gave her a hug and, uh, and apparently had said that, you know, he still doesn't drink coffee. <laughs> um, she teaches Mae Mobley how to go to the restroom and Mae Mobley, because kids learn best from watching their own parents and Elizabeth Leifold will not go in front of her own child, um, May Mobley's like, you do it. You go to the restroom. And she has she can't go in the house, so she has to go to the colored bathroom. So she shows May Mobley how to use the restroom using her bathroom outside. And May Mobley from then on gets in trouble because she's using the colored bathroom and Miss Leafolt catches her and says that it's diseased and dirty and she can't use that bathroom. That's not for her. Yeah. I was like, teach your own damn kid how to use the bathroom then. Yeah. Abilene, uh, around Thanksgiving, goes to the Jitney, which is a grocery store. She goes home after this, and she finds Skeeter on her porch, and Skeeter asks her to help with the book. She wants to write this book, and uh, she's like, I will not help you. I might as well burn my own house down. Like, they're going to come for me. And uh, even though Skeeter's reassuring her, like, no, we're going to change the names and everything, she's like, no, not going to happen. Uh, unbeknownst to Abilene, though, Skeeter has already written to Elaine Stein saying that she had already gotten approval to interview. So Skeeter's kind of stuck. She's like, I need to find I need to find a maid. And Abilene, since I already have it in with her with the Miss Myrna column, she's my in. Um, so she takes money to Abilene. And she says that it's for her help with the advice column, but Abilene sees right through it and is like, no, this is a bribe. And she's like, I'm not going to accept it. Like, you need to take this money and leave because if Elizabeth Leifold sees you handing me money, we're going to be in trouble. Mm -hmm. um, so after that, some time later, uh, Skeeter goes on a double date with Hilly and her husband William Holbrook and uh, she's with this guy named Stuart who she had been set up with by Hilly and while they're at the restaurant Celia Foote comes in and she's with Johnny Foote and Johnny Foote and Hilly used to be together but uh, Hilly doesn't see Johnny but Stuart it has eyes only for Celia because she dresses very provocatively for that time very tight-fitting clothes, cleavage, all that. 
And of course, Skeeter notices and notices that, you know, he's staring at this, you know, bimbo kind of. After the awful date, Abelene calls and asks Skeeter, um, what if she doesn't like what she has to say? So Minnie, back right before she had gotten her job with Celia Foote, she had done something that she called the terrible awful. (laughs) And she will not tell anybody what it was. She will not say what it was to a single person. But she's in the kitchen teaching Celia how to cook. And they're going to make a caramel cake. And Celia asks, can you make a chocolate pie instead? Like what's in the magazine? And Minnie's like, no, I will not. (laughs) Absolutely (laughs) not. Absolutely not. Never again. One day Celia is gone and Johnny had come home to surprise her. And Minnie is there all by herself. Oh, gosh. <laughs> she doesn't know that Johnny's coming to surprise Celia. She didn't know that Celia was going to be gone that day. Um, and Minnie's in the in the master bedroom gathering dirty clothes in a sack. And she turns around and there's Johnny and he's swinging an axe in his hand. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, the, shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it turns out like she's of course eyeing the axe and she's trying to think of a getaway and she's like no he's gonna catch me like I'm dead I'm dead I'm dead and um, eventually he tells her that you know don't tell Celia that he knows he wants Celia to tell him herself and uh, he's been trying to get somebody out there to come spend time with Celia because she's so alone and he's worried about her and he doesn't have a problem with having a maid Mm. yeah so it's really sweet but it's now, then now, why did he have the fucking axe? Well, because somebody's in his house. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, I was like, yeah. <laughs> um. So anyway, I think he had. I also think that he had come to cut down this tree because there's this tree. It's a mimosa tree that Celia hates, and every time they're in the co- kitchen cooking, she's always looking out at that tree and talking about how ugly it is, and she just wants to cut it down. So I think that that's kind of also why he had the axe, if I'm mis- if I'm remembering correctly. After speaking with Harper and Rowe with Elaine Stein, um, Elaine has told Skeeter that she wants her to write these interviews uh, because at first she was kind of hesitant about like if it would sell because equality between the whites and colored people is big news with Martin Luther King and everything, the civil rights, um, it's very big news. So she wants, so that's why she's like, you need to write, you need to write this, but you need to get a lot of different perspectives. And, um, Minnie eventually agrees to help. But after each interview, she leaves in a huff. She just gets worked up talking about the white woman. She, you know, (laughs) yeah, I would too. Damn. (laughs) Um, Stuart, after that awful date, eventually does call on Skeeter again. And, um, the date was awful because Stuart wasn't ready, but he wants to give it another shot with Skeeter. Um, now, through all of this, Skeeter is going to the library to find books for Abilene because she's agreed to pick some up, or she's offered to pick some up for her because Abilene can't go to the white library, and the colored library doesn't have everything that the white does. Mm-hmm. And while she's there, she's looking for books about, you know, colored people you know she's looking for for books that are catered to them and she finds a book that's written by an ex-slave and the whole inside of it is torn out and vandalized Uh, she also finds a booklet of jim crow laws and she makes a little note saying jim crow laws or hilly's bathroom initiative what's the difference later 
she leaves her bag at the ladies league headquarters and hilly takes it home and of course being a nosy little bitch goes through it and she finds the jim crow booklet and the note that says what's the difference so now hilly's like seeing that skeeter's on like doing something trying to be progressive uh trying to desegregate all this all this nonsense well nonsense to to hilly abeline hears hilly and elizabeth leefolt talking about this and she's like but she doesn't know if maybe they read the interviews that uh were also in that bag that were kind of tucked in a side pocket or not they didn't know what what all hilly saw um but she remarks how the white lady's not like the white man. The white lady will never forget, and she ain't going to stop till you're dead. And That is very true. <laughs> she, yeah, and um, Hilly is notorious for this. She is just, she's very vindictive, and she will go after you, your family, your husband, your kids, and make sure nobody ever hires you again. You never get a job. Basically, she'll ruin your life if you cross her. Mm-hmm. And... Um, one day, Abilene has to stay late uh, to watch after Mae Mobley, and because she had to stay late, she gets on the night bus, and they're forced, the colored people are forced to get off because it's the day that Medgar Evers gets shot, uh, and that's that's a huge, huge moment. Do you remember that in the movie? Yeah, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's a huge moment in the civil rights movement because it's like he was... You know, he was one of the higher up uh, members of the NAACP mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and he got shot by the KKK. Uh, now, they refused to talk about the shooting at the lethal residence. And uh, one day, Abilene, because May Mobley's upset, she's like, I'm going to tell you a story. And she tells her a story of two little girls, one white and one colored, and how they say, well, you have a nose. I have a nose. You have a you have arms. I have arms you know, we're not different at all. We're exactly the same. Um, and from then on, Abilene teaches Mae Mobley little, little stories, tells her little stories, teaches her little games. Um, like they have a sit in game that they play where, you know, you have to, you can't move, you have to peacefully protest. And she's just teaching Mae Mobley all this stuff. Now, Minnie, while she's working at the foot plantation, notices that Celia keeps sneaking upstairs. Now, upstairs is just a bunch of abandoned bedrooms with, um, you know, there's a crib up there, there's little beds. It's for a family, but there's only Celia and her husband, Johnny. And she notices that Celia keeps sneaking up there, so one day she sneaks up after her and sees Celia's drinking a bunch of small bottles that look like whiskey bottles. And she's like, no wonder there's no kids. She's always drunk. And she confronts her, and Celia fires her. And uh, Minnie then goes to Abilene and is complaining about the white woman. Because mm-hmm. Minnie, you know, that's what Minnie does. And um, Abilene boohoo's her and is like, well, you you remember, like, she's like, yeah, Celia's awful. You remember so-and-so when they did this to you? Oh, you remember so-and-so when they did this to you? Oh, you remember that when that happened? Oh, yeah, Celia's real bad, you know? And it's kind of like everything she listed was awful but what celia does like you know celia actually treats her like a person she does they she eat, doesn't they eat together she yeah. pays her more than minimum wage like she yeah she treats her very well um and so Minnie eventually goes back to the foot plantation to apologize and try get try and get her job back and celia is very sickly and um celia locks herself in the bathroom for hours and finally 
um, many, you know, demands to know like what's going on. And she goes inside and unfortunately Celia has had a miscarriage and she had been pregnant and this was not the first time. This was the fifth time. And, um, the bottles are not alcohol. They're a tonic that she's had shipped from a native American preservation that just happens to just be molasses and water. So it's, you know, nothing, but she's trying it because she is trying to get pregnant and keep the pregnancy. So you'll may eventually agrees to help with the project, but soon after is arrested and Hilly is telling all the ladies that she stole a ring that had a giant ruby of immense value on it. And um, Skeeter happens to know that it was a garnet and it was not worth much. And the only reason Yulmay stole it was because she was trying to get both of her twin boys into college. And she was short on just one of the tuitions, which is really sad. And uh, Hilly's telling everybody, like, that's how it starts. Like, first they'll take your expired milk and then they'll take your rings, like your jewelry. <laughs> like... What the fuck? Um, so after that, after Yulmay gets arrested, all of Abilene and Minnie's church circle decide to help. Skeeter and her parents go and meet Stuart and his parents, uh, and they will not shut up about his ex-fiance, Patricia. And Stuart gets really upset, eventually telling Skeeter that, you know, the reason him and Patricia are not together is because she cheated on him. And uh, he wants to take a break from Skeeter again. Like he he wants to clear asshole. his head. Yeah. Um, and then Hilly confronts Skeeter about putting her home help sanitation initiative in the newsletter because she is the editor of the Junior League newsletter. It's one of the things that Skeeter does. And um, Skeeter is typing it out and uh, she can't help but think like what would Constantine think? So... A little bit of time passes. You know what's about to happen. <laughs> uh, a little bit of time passes. Uh, Abeline hears uh, from Elizabeth, who has to rush over to Hilly's house, and she goes um, with Mae Mobley on a walk, and they see that in front of Hilly's house, all in her yard, are a bunch of toilets. <laughs> and, and Skeeter had put in the newsletter to drop off your old toilets at her house, and that they were out of town, so just put them anywhere. So they're just strewn about. Um after this, Skeeter is essentially disowned. Uh, Hilly and Elizabeth say that it's all well and good around them, but there are some real racists in town. So, you know, they're gonna they're gonna basically punish her with losing their friendship to prove her point. And they're also gonna go and tell Stuart because her father is a politician and they want to save his career. So they're gonna tell Stuart so he doesn't get back into bed with with this this equal rights activist. And one day. At Bridge, Celia shows up and Hilly tries to, she's, you know, asking about help at the benefit. She's like, hey, like I, I you know, I just came by because she keeps trying to call them and they're not answering. And it's because Hilly doesn't like her. And so because Hilly doesn't like her because she's married to her ex-boyfriend, nobody's allowed to talk to Celia. She's basically, yeah, she's an outcast. And, um... They try to, they're like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, we don't need any help from non-members for the benefit, but if you want to, you know, buy some tickets and come, why don't we sell you 10 tickets for you, Johnny, and all your friends? It's like, oh, you wow. fucking bitches. You and, bitch. And Celia, and Celia's like, no, just the two is fine. 
So she just buys two tickets. The next morning, I believe it's the next morning, Minnie goes over to Celia Foote's to, you know, start her day. And this is the biggest part that was, this was not in the fucking movie. Minnie had gotten hit by her husband, Leroy, the night before. Mm -hmm. So she had a gash on her eyebrow. You remember that, right? That was in the movie? I know. Oh, okay. I'm about to get to what was in the movie. Oh, okay, okay. And of course, Celia notices and she's trying to take care of her. And she's like, we need to call. Like she says, let's call the police. And and, uh, Minnie turns around and she's like, no, why would we do that? And Celia's like, there's a man in the yard. And so, (laughs) this this is insane. And so... They look outside, and there is a man who is buck naked, standing in the yard, pleasuring himself. Oh, my God. <laughs> in their yard. And he sees that they're watching him, and he starts coming towards the house. Like and so, coming or coming? No, <laughs> <laughs> no. no. Um, I, yeah, I'm not going to say what I was about to say. No, he's, she starts walking towards the house and Minnie, she decides, okay, I'm going to go chase him out. So she grabs a broom and a knife and she runs out there and she's swinging at him and she's missing. Two of the best weapons ever, a broom and a knife. Because the knife is really short, so she can't like reach him. And, um, he, the broom, she loses the knife, the broom gets broken and this guy hits her (laughs) and Celia comes out and it starts threatening him. And is like, you need to leave. But Celia's menacing. She's not like moving. She's not swinging wildly back and forth like Minnie was. Like she's just there. And as soon as the guy turns towards Minnie, who is on the ground and is starting to get up, Celia comes out of nowhere with a fire poker and (laughs) starts beating his ass. (laughs) And um, the whole time he had been like, Minnie had been chasing him. He kept saying like, you want a piece of this pecker pie? (laughs) 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 It's just like, and, uh, but yeah, so Celia like just keeps beating him and almost kills him. And Minnie thinks it's strange that Celia would cross like such a line for her. Um, That's that sugar ditch that came out of her. Yes, it is. Uh, now Celia over the next few weeks is worrying about this benefit that she had just bought the two tickets for and she wants to make a good impression and Minnie tells her like hey well why don't you reach out to Skeeter because you know you need a friend Mm -hmm. and Minnie happens to know that Skeeter's a good woman and uh, Celia's like no no none of the none of the other ladies like her like I don't want to I don't want to be seen with her because nobody else likes her bitch nobody likes you neither and then she realizes exactly oh okay and she realizes that she was a hypocrite um and many admits that the reason the ladies don't like her is because hilly and johnny used to date and so um celia's like okay well then at the benefit i'm just gonna set everything straight i'm just gonna tell you know hilly everything and that like i didn't you know johnny didn't cheat on her with me but she makes a mistake she decides to dress like what Minnie describes as a jukebox hussy and she dresses in a very tight fitting hot pink dress with like cleavage and you know just yes so they go to the benefit people can't stop staring at Celia they avoid her like the plague and uh, people also ignore Skeeter as well but Skeeter is kind of just bored of it all but she sees celia and she's like i'm gonna pay attention to her because that looks interesting (laughs) and um so celia during 
during Hilly's speech, Hilly thanks the anonymous donor of all of the toilets because they had been repurposed for her bathroom initiative. And they used those toilets and installed them this sly in colored bitch. bathrooms. This sly, clever bitch. These used toilets from a junkyard, oh by my the way. God. Yeah. And um and she so she thinks like, oh, I wish the anonymous donor would come forth and Skeeter is unresponsive. Like she doesn't say anything. But they all know like mm-hmm. it was her. And um after that, there's the baked goods raffle, and Hilly has won Minnie's famous chocolate pie. And she's like very confused. She's like, I didn't bid on anything like, you know, and Minnie had made this pie for the benefit because it's very popular. And um, Hilly is just staring Minnie down because she's like, because <laughs> because of the terrible, awful thing that Minnie will not say what it is to anybody. Um, Celia finally catches up to Hilly after that. And when Hilly tries to pull away, her sleeve gets torn off. And Hilly accuses Celia of lying about Johnny and everything. And also she accuses her of signing her up for the pie. And Celia is very confused. She doesn't know what's going on. And uh, after that, for a whole week, she won't get out of bed. And um, Minnie notices that there's a letter that it's from Hilly. And it says that for the damages to the dress, Celia can just cut a check to the ladies' league. And that also she cannot attend any more functions. She has been blacklisted. So the listeners can't see your looks. I know. I'm Come sorry. On. It's just this bitch. Oh, my God. Yeah. And um, so finally Minnie's like, okay, I'm just going to tell her. So she tells her about the terrible awful. Yes. Now, yes, 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 do yes, you yes. want to tell the listeners what the terrible awful is? No, or I want do you, want... you to tell it. Okay. So essentially after Minnie found out that uh, Hilly was spreading lies about her being a thief... She decides to, she tells, she tells Hilly, eat my shit. And then she goes eat home. Eat my shit. Yes. And then she goes home and she decides to bake a chocolate pie. And she takes it back to Hilly's and Hilly thinks it's a peace offering. And she's like, well, you know, if I hire you now, I'm just going to hire you at, at $0 an hour, you know, because of how you treated me. And she thinks it's a peace offering, and so she eats it. She eats two slices, <laughs> and then it comes out that Minnie had actually put her shit in the pie, and Hilly had eaten her shit. <laughs> and, of course, Hilly did not go to the police because she didn't want people to know that she ate a black woman's shit. And she didn't let anybody know. Pie. Yeah. It was a butt chocolate pie. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a few days after that, Celia is starting to act more normal, you know, more for herself. Her. Good for her. And uh, it has started to rain. And Minnie, even though she says not to, uh, she ignores Minnie and she goes outside, grabs the axe, and she cuts down that tree herself. Damn, girl. And um, Minnie, who's like watching her out the window, looks down and sees a check for $200, but it's made out to two slice hilly. <laughs> Which is just great. Um, I forgot about that part. Yeah. Juice last hilly. Yeah. So then on December 2nd, uh, Elaine Stein with Harper and Rowe has moved the deadline for the book to the 21st instead of uh, after after the new year. So essentially, Skeeter's like, shit, I have two weeks to, to finish this book and mail it um, because otherwise it's not going to get read and they're not going to publish it. That night... 
Skeeter arrives home to find Stuart, and he wants her back again. He's done some soul searching. He wants his girl back. Oh, my God. <laughs> so Skeeter's like, okay, whatever. And he's like, okay, I'm going out of town for a few days, but I'll be back. And the fuck? Yeah, because he works, he, he works away. On her way back in, Skeeter's mother, who's out on the porch, and uh, I don't think I mentioned this, she's she has cancer, mm-hmm. and so she's getting weaker. Uh, she looks up, and she tells Skeeter, don't let that man cheapen you. And uh, it was a very touching thing for her mother to say. Which is interesting, because in the movie, Stuart was very attentive. He was actually a really cool guy. Yeah, but in the movie. a lot of the story with Stuart is left out of the movie. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, finally... Because Skeeter needs to include something personal in her book, Abeline tells her what happened with uh, Constantine. She had put her daughter up for adoption because her daughter had come out very pale-skinned when she was born, and it was because of Constantine's white father. And so she had put her daughter up for adoption, and in later years they had gotten reacquainted, and her daughter came to visit and during one of Charlotte Phelan, uh, Skeeter's mother, one of her meetings with the Daughters of the Revolution or something like that, mm-hmm. D-A-R, Lulabelle, that's Constantine daughter's, Constantine's daughter's name, was mingling with all the ladies pretending like she was a white woman because she had light skin. And uh, because of this, a, uh, because of this, Constantine was fired. So, once the book is completed, they decide to add the terrible awful that many did for insurance because they're like, well, if people in Jackson read it, if Hilly reads it, she's going to claim it's not Jackson because she doesn't want anybody to know about that. Which is smart. <laughs> yes, it is smart. So, they've mailed the book. Weeks go by. New Year's passes. Skeeter's mom gets stick- sicker. And uh, Stuart and Skeeter are, you know, going steady. And on an evening after a dinner date, Stuart proposes. To Skeeter. Just out of the blue. Well, they've been together off and on for almost almost two years now. It's so, off and on. Um, yeah, so Skeeter decides, like, well, if we're going to be this, if we're going to be engaged, then, you know, I need to tell him. So she tells him about the book. And he says, things are fine. Why are you going and stirring up trouble? And he walks out the door. Good. Yeah, good. But still, I mean, it's heartbreaking for her. Um on January 17th, she finally gets news that Harper and Rowe wants to publish their book. Now, later in August, so several months later, or the day before the book publishes, May Mobley comes home from preschool because she's now attending preschool, and she asks Abilene why she's colored. And uh, she tells her that her teacher has told them that coloreds are not allowed in their school because they're not smart enough. And Abilene gets down on the ground and she asks May Mobley, she's like, do you think I'm dumb? And May Mobley's like, no. And she's like, well, the teacher isn't always right. And May Mobley hugs her and is like, you're righter than the teacher. Aww. I know. It was really touching. Um, the book publishes. Uh, there's very, there's no news. Nobody's buying any copies, anything like that. Uh, but Skeeter finds out that it's going to be reviewed on live television. In the midst of this, Minnie, who's pregnant again, and Abilene go to a special church service where the whole congregation says that they'll acknowledge Abilene only one time for her accomplishment because they don't want to risk anything. So yeah. they're going to give her one one night of you know praise and celebration. And they all sign a book and say, because you couldn't put your name in this, we all put ours. 
and oh. they give her two copies, one for her and one for the white lady who they care for like their own because she heard their stories. So when the book is reviewed, the presenter makes a joke that it could be about Jackson, and all of a sudden, all the ladies want a copy. The bookstores sell out, and it is just like wildfire, the news of it. Um, while they're waiting for the other shoe to drop, because they know something's coming, Minnie continues her work. And one morning she comes to the foot plantation and Johnny's there with Celia. And uh, Celia had told him everything about the babies because before mm. she hadn't told him about all the miscarriages. And they thank Minnie and tell her that she's she's going to have her job for life as long as she wants it. That's because so sweet. She, yeah. And for some reason now, Hilly is suddenly claiming that that book is not about Jackson. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Skeeter that night goes to check the mail and she gets a letter offering her a job for Harper and Rowe. Uh, she goes back to the house and as she's walking up, Hilly, Hilly drives up. Uh, she's bedraggled. Um, she's not made up. She has a cold sore. She's a little bit more uh, chubby than she was before. And um, Skeeter's mom comes out and is basically, it's not, it's not as, as it's not as a strong, it's not like the movie, sadly. Oh, okay. Yeah, the movie that was like the one of the best parts. Yeah, when she, yeah, when she, but she does say she's like, "Oh, honey, no husband wants to see wants to see you like this." You know, mm -hmm. her mom says that to uh, to Hilly, but she, but then she's like, you know, why don't you come by some other time? Like you girls, you know, turn off the lights when you're done, and she's like, "Why don't you come by some other time and we'll eat or something?" I don't know what I can't remember what mm -hmm. she says. Minnie doesn't seem concerned as Abilene also at this point. Abilene realizes that the pie story, the terrible awful, wasn't to protect everyone. It was just to protect everybody else, not not Minnie. Um, because Minnie knows that there's probably something that's going to happen to her. Yeah. <clears throat> but everybody else will be safe. The next day, Elizabeth had borrowed some silverware from Hilly, and Abilene polishes it and returns it. And the day after that, Skeeter shows up on her door and she says that she's about to leave for New York, but that she had pressed that the editor at the Jackson Journal give the Miss Myrna job to Abilene and he agreed. And he agreed to give her equal pay as well. So Abilene will get the job with the Jackson Journal. Um, the following morning, Abilene gets a call from Minnie and it turns out that Leroy, Minnie's husband uh, and father of their uh, five kids, got fired. Hilly had had him fired because she knew, yeah. you know, and um, Leroy had tried to kill Minnie because he had lost his job and she escaped and she was going to stay with her sister. Afterwards, Abling goes to work at the Lee Foltz and Hilly is there and Hilly demands that, or doesn't demand, Hilly says that Abling stole their silver and Abilene's like, you know, I didn't steal no silver. And Hilly's like, well, I'm sorry, but you can't work here anymore, pretty much. And Elizabeth is forced to fire Abilene because Hilly wants her to. And Elizabeth has had no idea this whole time that one of the stories in that book was about how awful she is to her kids. Like, she just is so... Um, She's so deluded. Yes. Uh, so that's, I mean, and that's, that's it. That's the end. Abilene goes off and she's a little bit worried about her future, but she's going to start anew. 
And uh, Catherine Stockett, the author, tells her own story with her family's maid. Uh, She talks about her Mississippi pride and her shame, and she tells the reader that she was worried she was going too far by writing The Black Perspective, and that one thing is abundantly clear, and that is no white woman on the other end of that paycheck has or ever would understand what life was like for the colored help. Mm -hmm. I forgot. I haven't read the book in, like, a couple years. Do they have the you is kind, you is smart, you is Mm -hmm. important? Yes, they do. It's my favorite. Yeah. So um, my analysis, uh, this is an outstanding book. Yes. I probably took so long just talking about it. Um, I thought that the slang, like the colloquialisms, um, you know, when it was Abilene and Minnie's sections, they were bordering on kitschy. Um, You know, they're kind of like too stereotypical. Yes, kind of. Um, And, you know, this being written by a white woman, it's very... It, that that kind of felt a little off for me. A um, couple favorite words that I had that I learned from this book. Uh, kvetch, which is a person who complains. Uh, and Elaine Stein uses it when she's describing Abilene's testimony in the book, saying that she doesn't kvetch too much. And then uh, gentility, which is to be superior through manners and appearance, which these socialite white ladies of America think that they have gentility, think think that they're superior and they're not. Characters that I like the best and least, I loved Celia. I felt for her immensely. Yeah. Because this is written through Minnie's perspective, you know? So this is Minnie on the outside seeing Celia, which is actually I kind of liked that because it almost flipped the the script on that because it's the book is all about us looking in from the outside on the black perspective, you know? Um but I did love Celia. Uh, Abilene is just the epitome of strong, of being a strong woman. And uh, Leroy, Minnie's husband, the first half of the book, there's no mention of him being abusive. He actually seems like a pleasant person. And I was getting all ready to be like, well, he's completely different in the movie. Um, and then halfway through the book, suddenly like he's he's they're talking about how it's common for him to beat her. But before then... There was no talk of it. It was a complete 180 for him. So the character himself, I think, got rewritten. I'm not going to lie. I think that halfway through, Catherine Stock had decided that she wanted that character to go a different route. Or she wanted Minnie to go a different route and to push her that way. Yeah. She wrote her, her husband different. How this book compare to the movie? Uh, Anna Camp's character, Jolene French, is only in it for like a split second. She's the one reviewing the book. Uh, there's no Nelson Ellis's character, Henry. Uh, there's some stuff taken out. There's no naked man story um, <laughs> or the, the the fact that Celia is literally homebound and she really never leaves her house. Yeah, they in the movie, they just make her seem like she's lonely she's just and, just an doesn't, and she just doesn't have anywhere to go. But in the book, she's actually like stuck at home. Yeah. And then like they're the. Story with Stuart and his family is is very diminished. Wasn't the author on set for the movie? Yes, she was okay. one of the extras and she was one of the ladies' league mm-hmm. members. Um, the endings for both the movie and the book are both bittersweet, but the movie doesn't quite capture Abilene's brief feeling of hopelessness when she's been fired. She talks about like, what is she going to do? Like, how even with the Miss Myrna job, she can't afford, you know. So, but uh, I absolutely would recommend this book. Like. Of course, you know, duh, (laughs) like, of course I would. So, all right. So I've wasted a lot of time. It is now your turn. 
okay. to tell your story. Okay. Let's hear it for the boys. Or, Let's hear it for the boys. There you go. I'm sure that's how it goes. <laughs> that was know. really off key. That was not the right key. <laughs> ah, okay. Tell me, what story did you do? Okay. So my book is called Dear Martin. Dear Martin. By Nick Stone. Published in 2017. Oh, recent. Yeah, it's kind of recent. Um, So this bio about Stone is from her website, nickstone.info. Um, Nick Stone was born and raised in a suburb of Atlanta, Georgia. And the only thing she loves more than adventure is a good story about one. After graduating from Spelman College, she worked extensively in teen mentoring and lived in Israel for a few years before returning to the Ooh. U.S. to write full-time. Gotta say, I love that name on a woman. Nick? Nick. It's, it's N-I-C. No K. I don't even care how it's I know, spelled. but I like that I, it's I just, N-I-C. I just love that name, Nick, for a woman. That's Right. Um, growing up, sexy. <laughs> growing up with a wide range of cultures, religions, and backgrounds, Stone strives to bring these diverse voices and stories to her work. Um, Dear Martin was her first novel, and she had been shaken by the events of a series of true events and of the responses to these types of incidents. Is this fiction or nonfiction? The story is fiction. Okay. But it is based off of true events. Sort of, kind of. Okay. It's inspired by true events. Um, Stone had started this project, Dear Martin, to examine current events through the lens of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his teachings. I also want to plug her um, social meds because she's really, <laughs> really active on the social meds. Okay. So cool. you can find her on Twitter at Get Nicked. That's G-E-T-N-I-C-C-E-D. And she's on Instagram at Nick, N-I-C. Okay. How old is she? Young. Like, I can show you a picture. She's, let me just say, girl, I haven't messaged you yet. I'm going to message you later. Nick, you're gorgeous. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, I saw pictures of her and I was like, can I be her? She is probably one of the most gorgeous human beings. Hold on. Let me let me bring up her IG. You'll, let me, hold on. Okay. Oh, and she has two little boys. She's got two sons. Oh. I know. Oh, woman. And she loves to experiment with like different styles and everything woman nick not not only is your name gorgeous you're gorgeous yeah that's her husband and her kids wow girl we totally trolling on your ig yeah we are okay <laughs> but let me on. just say you've got a gorgeous family <laughs> holy shit okay okay moving on talk to, to you later, the girl. story to the story okay, to the story so this is dear martin so the story opens with justice it's spelled just like the word justice, but with a Y instead of an I. Okay. Which I think is really cute. Um, he's a 17-year-old senior at a preparatory academy in Atlanta. Um, the very first part is him getting to his drunk ex-girlfriend who's like in a parking lot. He's She's plastered. And her name is Milo. And she's half black so she has like really really light skin mm -hmm. and they're like off and on and so he gets to her and he's like let me get you home like he's trying to be a good guy and she starts to argue so he takes her keys like throws her over his shoulder to like because she's like pretty much unconscious at this point and he gets her into her back seat and he's getting ready to close the door to like turn around and go drive and he's dead sober when wee woo wee woo oh. wee woo here come the pigs here come the cops 
So Officer Tomas Castillo comes on up and immediately arrests Justice. Cause doesn't read like yeah. Justice even remarks he doesn't even remember or hear being told his Miranda rights. Just gets handcuffed, and he's Justice is sitting there like I don't know what's going on. What do you mean? I'm not trying to attack her. Like she's my she's my girlfriend. Like what the fuck? And Officer Castillo tells Justice that they had been following him for quite a bit and knew he was suspicious because he was walking around with his hoodie on. And Justice immediately is like, well, shit, I shouldn't have been doing that. Which, first of all, that's fucked. You should be able to wear whatever the hell you want. Yeah. That's racial profiling. But anyway, Justice like continually attempts to explain the situation because Officer Castillo accuses Justice of trying to mug Milo. Okay. Because she's got lighter skin. So he just automatically assumes that she's white or something? Yeah, he just automatically assumes that this black teenager is coming up on this white woman, like, trying to steal her car and mug her and rape her and shit, when that was not the case at all, in any way, shape, or form. Wow. Um, so he gets taken to the station. Milo's parents even show up to the station where he's in custody. Her parents, like, try to explain the situation, like, no, like, that's our daughter's boyfriend like he was just trying to help her because she was drunk and they complete the police completely ignore the parents and keep justice in custody and it isn't until his friend sarah jane whose nickname is sj she's a jewish girl and has been um justice de- debate partner for the past two years um her mom Mrs. Friedman comes up. She's an attorney and starts like yelling at the police and is like, you need to let him go. He didn't do anything wrong. You're not charging him with anything. Yeah. So they let him go. And was that that all happened at night? Yeah, this all happened at night. Like this all happened like in a matter of like 12 hours. Oh, okay. So because of this incident, um, Justice is prompted to start writing letters to Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Because he wants to try to live more like him, like morally, you know, good. He wants to be a good person. He doesn't want anything bad to happen to him. So he says in his first letter, Justice talks about how he has never really thought about being in this type of situation, that because he's a good guy, it shouldn't matter that he's from a rough part of town. Yeah, that's true. Because he's from a rough neighborhood, but he is staying in a dorm at a at a prep school that he like got a full scholarship to so he's so he like miles morales yeah visions academy exactly so after the incident with justice and the getting arrested and shit he goes to his friend manny's house emmanuel manny rivers is the prep academy's basketball captain and just overall popular guy um his dad is the vp of a major financial corporation and he's also african-american so he is the only other black guy that uh, Jess goes to school with, essentially. Wow. Um, it's at Manny's house that we find out that Manny's cousin, Quan Banks, has been arrested for killing a police officer. Quan is a year younger than Justice and has been to elementary school with him, um, but he had just, he had started to run with a not-so-great crowd after elementary school ended. And Quan Banks was arrested for the murder of Officer Tomas Castillo, the one that oh, arrested shit. Justice. So in that 
that's like a day later or how much time has passed? It's like a day later. It's literally like the day after. All right. Well, I'm not upset about that. So. Murder's not good. Just saying murder ain't good, but fuck Castillo. The day after that, Justice is on his way to a societal evolution class, which, you know, it's a fucking prep school. If they have a societal evolution class. (laughs) Is it a Christian prep school? No. No? This is just like a sociology class. Oh, it's not about evolution. No, it's just about <laughs> sociology. Um, and the it's fuck t- that name? I don't know. Um, they they call it Sochevo. Sochevo, man, that's Sochevo. That's Sochevo. Um, and that's taught by Dr. Jarius Doc Dre. Ha. Dr. Dre. <laughs> Who is also the debate team advisor and is the quote only half black guy just knows with a PhD. Pretty huge dude. <laughs> Doc begin and actually just like a sidebar, um, Doc is actually very light skinned as well and he has green eyes. Okay. So it's one of those things where like both Doc and Manny are both kind of on the light skinned side. So so it's, Justice it's is darker easier, than them. It's easier for people to accept them in yeah. their societal evolution exactly. class. Yes. Okay. Gag. Um, so Doc, I know, right? So Doc begins class discussion about racial inequality, beginning with the Declaration of Independence. So kind of talking about like all men are created equal, but that doesn't include women, black people. I pledge allegiance to the flag. Wait. No, that's, that's the, the Pledge, Pledge of Allegiance. Okay. <laughs> um, we oh, hold these that's... truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal or whatever shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but that doesn't include black people, women, or Native American Indians. Has n- None of them are included as just white people. So he's kind of like, that's kind of where a lot of shit started. And so Jared Christensen, one of Manny's rich white friends, and he's his dad is like some hotshot lawyer or something mm-hmm. um speaks up about how america has and you're about to get real fucking angry so oh. just bottle it up okay bot oh you don't want me to you don't want me to react or you do want i don't me want to you react? to scream because i don't want you to ruin the sound on this episode okay well that's already too was, late you're already talking so i was internally screaming at this because okay. i was trying really hard not to wake wesley up so jared speaks up about how america has quote reached full equality when it comes to race and that quote anyone born here is a citizen born with full rights there are people who claim certain injustices are race related but they're just being divisive (laughs) jared argues that quote black people have the same opportunities as white people in this country if they're willing to work hard enough and cites that manny's parents are the perfect example Quan, where's that gun? Where's that gun, boy? (laughs) So SJ, Sarah Jane, says to him, like, after this long, long long-winded argument that I do not want to go through right now because there's a lot to unpack in this book. Okay. um, She goes, she says, quote, I know you'd prefer to ignore this stuff because you benefit from it, but walking around pretending that inequality doesn't exist won't make it disappear truth and she tells him that he and manny are quote equal in pretty much every way apart from race could submit the could commit the same crime but it's almost guaranteed that manny would receive a harsher punishment yeah which is 100 percent true 100 percent true 
Later in the cafeteria, which they call it the senior lounge, but it's the fucking cafeteria. Victorious had a senior lounge. No, wait. No. Riverdale has a senior lounge. Is it that room? Yeah. That they, that all, they all hang, hang out, out with in? the couches? That's a senior. Anyway, we're I getting off track. I think it's a lounge, yeah. I don't know. Um, later in the cafeteria, Jess overhears Jared and Manny with their friends talking about the debate class. Jared not only threatens to get his daddy to get Doc fired because of this conversation in class, but he also says, quote, that he's sick of people suggesting that African-Americans still have it so hard these days and says that Manny's parents are, quote, totally proof that things are equal now. Do you need a minute? Can I pop this boy? No, I don't need a minute. Just <laughs> okay. keep going. Please tell me something bad happens to him. No, not bad. Actually, I don't want anything bad. Ha- I want... I want... I want our boy just to to get the justice he deserves. And, well, and like, just... May, I don't know. I don't know. But it it gets... It gets much worse. Just so you <sighs> well, know. This That's is like the, scratching the surface. I know. It's the beginning of the story. <sighs> okay, so Jared, later on... Jared convinces Manny, Justice, and their other friends, Kyle, Tyler, and Blake, to dress as different stereotypes for Halloween and to go out together as a massive political statement about racial equality. So, Juss is the thug, complete with his exposed boxers, his grill made from tinfoil, and his thick gold chain. Thank God that officer got popped. (laughs) I know, right? If he saw him on the street, he'd... Okay, keep going. Uh, Manny is the, quote, token black guy wearing khakis, loafers, and a polo with a sweater tied around his shoulders. Jared is the yuppie slash politician and is wearing a suit. Tyler is the surfer dude with board shorts and a tank top because that's a race. That makes sense. Can you hear the sarcasm dripping? Clearly, you've never been to California. California. Okay. Okay. Kyle is the redneck, so he's like wearing flannel and like duckbill hat, cowboy boots, the whole nine. Oh, I think I know that guy. (laughs) (laughs) And Blake. Blake. He decides to dress like a Klansman, complete with his uh, white hood and the little insignia, and he thinks that this is okay. And he even, like, tries to fist bump Justice, and Justice is like, why the fuck are you wearing this? Why? 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 Okay, move on. Well, not five minutes after walking into a party, Blake gets busted in the fucking face. Good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because a couple guys from yes. Justice's, like, quote, rough neighborhood show up and accost the group for their costumes. <laughs> <laughs> and this, um, these boys are actually part of a, a gang called the Black Jihad, and we'll get more. We'll okay. go back to them later. But yeah, Blake gets fucking busted, and he's like bleeding through his mask, and it's really funny. Good. So, his Jess's next letter to Doctor King is about his conversation with SJ that he has over the phone later that night about what happened with the whole getting punched in the face shit with Blake. And Just discovers that he's starting to like SJ. 
but he's struggling with these feelings because his mother told him to never bring a white girl home. So he's battling between what he wants and what his mother wants. So he knows that his mother would be so disappointed in him and never accept her, never accept SJ. But he's also like, but she real cute. Like, yeah, why can't we be together? So shortly after the costume fiasco, Justice gets into Yale. We find out he gets into Yale and it's like this huge thing. Yeah, that's awesome. I know. So, of course, short-lived celebration, Jared gets his panties in a twist. And during Soch Evo class, Jared complains that Just only got into Yale because he's black. And he fills that minority <laughs> card. Yeah. Okay. When Jared wasn't denied entry, waitlisted? he was deferred. That's waitlisted, right? Yeah, so he was waitlisted. So, like, he was going to get in. Like, it wasn't... uh, Oh, but you know, in all these stories and movies and TV shows, the preppy, no-good white trash that Mm -hmm. they are, they always freak out when they get waitlisted. It's because Just got early admission. Like, that's literally the only reason why he's mad. Jared says that despite a whole argument led by SJ about how it's not... Because Jared goes into, like, this long-winded shit about how, like, he has higher test scores and, like, he, you know, has volunteered more at community events and all this shit sj is like it's not about final test scores it's about how you got there yeah it's not about what you're like at the end yeah it's always about like do you have a story to tell like what is your story yeah but jared says despite all that he's still going to question whether a minority student truly deserves to be where he is wherever he goes i really don't like this kid right Okay. Jess's next letter to Dr. King talks about how he's struggling with everyone putting him down instead of lifting him up. Um, he says, quote, it's like I'm trying to climb a mountain, but I've got one fool trying to shove me down so I won't be on his level and another fool tugging on his leg, trying to pull him to the ground. He refuses to leave. And he tells Dr. King that he's feeling very defeated and that there's no one that wants him to succeed on either side. Like. No one in his old neighborhood wants him to succeed because they think that he's a sellout for like mm-hmm. going to school with the white kids. And then the white kids we'll treat never, him like shit. Yeah, they'll never, never accept, accept him. him. Yeah. yeah. So he's just like really struggling right now. It's understand. So we kind of fast forward through Christmas and New Year's because he's super busy preparing for a huge state debate tournament that he that Jess is doing with SJ. Okay. And they decide to do a presentation about how racial profiling is prevalent in the U.S. criminal justice system. Obviously, Jess is a little hesitant at first about this topic, but because he doesn't want to, like, pull the race card. Yeah. Um, But he ends up it ends up being incredibly successful and they win. So the next letter about is about how Jess tried to kiss SJ after after they're announced as the winners of the tournament, only for her to turn and walk away from him. Oh, God. Like, like she noticed he was trying to kiss her or yeah. she didn't. Oh, yeah. like they were like full on like any like she like pushed her face away and like walked out and then was like, it was really, really great working for you or working with you for these last two years on debate team and then like fucking leaves and he doesn't hear from her for days. Oh, my God. So just just my boy, you deserve better. I know, right? Just is in a bit bit of a funk for a few days after that until Manny tries to get him out of it by getting him to go to Blake's birthday party. So he and Just get a little pregame tipsy, as one does when they're going to a high school party. Of course. And 
when they get to Blake's party, Blake asks Manny and Just to wingman him to get a, quote, fine-ass black girl to sleep with him. He even calls them his N-words. I put, like, a series of ellipses. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's enough ellipses in the world. Yep. So, um, Just fucking uppercuts this fool. <laughs> This is twice that he's gotten the shit beaten out of him. Good. And, like, Manny's trying to pull Just off of Blake, and Just is, like, accusing Manny of letting these pricks continually act like, act like, you know, these, you know, hoity-toity racist people. Yeah. And Manny's not saying a damn thing about it. Like, he's just letting it happen. Just runs back to his dorm and passes out, and he wakes the next morning to Doc checking up on him in his dorm um, because Manny had called and told him the cliff notes of like what had happened the night before. See what had happened was. What had happened was. So they talk about Doc's experience with being the only black man in his school and about like all the things that he had to face in going through graduate school because he is he does have a doctorate. He does have a PhD. Yeah. And the next day, Jared and Manny are missing from from Soch Evo class. Um, come to find out Manny had beat the shit out of Jared in the coach's office after Manny was trying to quit basketball because Jared had made a remark that Manny couldn't quit until, quote, Massa had set him free. Until what had set him free? Massa. Like master? Like the joke? Like oh. Massa. Oh. Oh, mm-hmm. no. Which is wrong on every on possible every level. level. Okay. I don't know how this guy Jared. See the thing. Don't the get shot. The thing that's <laughs> so frustrating to me, and clearly we are we are very soapboxy this episode. Um, I'm not sorry. <laughs> uh, hashtag sorry, not sorry. Uh, there are people like this out there, and the thing is, is that they're young. They're still in high school. That they're not all there. That doesn't like, make it okay. No, no, it doesn't in any way, which then turns it around on their fucking parents because yep. the way they are acting and the way they treat, I don't even, I'm, keep going. Yep. So, um, after this, after Manny like tells Jess like, hey, I beat the shit out of Jared because he says some crazy shit. Like you completely, you're completely right. Like I was letting them walk all over me and I'm tired of it. I'm not going to let them do that anymore. So they plan earlier in the week to have a Saturday of hiking. But Saturday morning comes and Manny comes by to pick up Jess and he's upset and says, like, can we just drive around for a bit? Like, I'm kind of upset. Got some bad news this morning. Kind of just want to drive it off. Jess is like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Well, um, turns I I, out. I think I know where this is going. Turns out Manny had gotten a call from Jared's dad because they're going to be pressing charges against Manny for assault because Manny had beat the shit out of Jared. Okay. So they start driving and they're blasting like some hard rap music. Um, at a stoplight, this white dude in a suburban looks mad about their loud music, but the boys pay no attention. They drive again and they get to another stoplight and the guy shouts from his car to shut down the music. Manny being like, I'm not going to, you know, relent to anybody. You mm-hmm. know, this is my music. I can do whatever the hell I want. He turns up the music even more just out of spite. But the white guy explodes. The guy pulls out a gun and shoots the two boys in the car. 
Manny doesn't make it and Jess had gotten shot in his li- in his ribs and was left with a collapsed lung. The man who shot them was Officer Garrett Tyson, the partner of the late Officer Tomas Castillo. So they end part one with bang, bang, bang. Yeah. <sighs> so part two starts um, 27 days after the altercation. Um, it's after Manny's funeral. Jess goes over to Manny's parents' house and they tell him that Quan Banks, Manny's cousin, wants to see him in jail. Jess decides to go to the youth detention center and see Quan, who tells him about his experiences being behind bars and how a 17-year-old rich white boy had stabbed his father eight times but got off on a simple assault after a doctor came in and said that it was just a sleepwalking episode. But this was his second, his quote, second offense. And he was called a career criminal because he stole something. So he's in there for like a long time. Yeah. That don't make no sense to me, but okay. None of it makes sense. All right. Um, Quan tells Jess to give this guy named Martell a call. Like gives him his number. Martell is the head of the Black Jihad. They're essentially a gang. Yeah. And after his visit, Jess goes to school and SJ runs into the Soch Evo classroom and shows him a newscast where they're showing off a picture of Jess in his Halloween costume. But everyone else in the picture is cropped out. And they're essentially calling, saying that Jess has been leaving a double life and that he's really this thug and that obviously... Officer Tyson was well within his limits to shoot these poor boys because they were obviously gangbangers because of the way that this kid was dressing. But they cut out all of the context. They cut out the kid that was dressed as a fucking Klansman. So needless to say, Jess is like, I'm going to go ahead and... uh, Go see these black jihad people. Mm-hmm. They accuse Justice of leading a double life and that because Manny was related to Quan, who had killed Tyson's partner, this must have been a way to get Quan out of jail. Like trying to get rid of the quote witness because Tyson was there when Castillo got shot. Because Tyson even told the police that he had seen the boys point a gun at him. Just starts to panic because he obviously can't believe that they defame his character like this and that these people are believing someone else but not listening to him or his statements. He's like, I didn't have a gun. There's no evidence to support I had a fucking gun. Just because somebody's related to somebody and it's coincidental has nothing to do with this. Yeah, but they're always going to listen to the white man. Exactly. So then he decides, like, I'm going to go to Martell and the Black Jihads because... He just can't see why he should try to do the good and moral thing anymore if it's not doing anything to help him. So he meets up with Martel, who immediately tries to recruit him and is like, you know, are you ready to strike back? Are you ready to, you know, take power? And the whole time, Jess is like, I don't know. This don't seem like me. This don't seem like something that Manny would want me to do. Um, And while they're talking, one of... Um, Martel's lackeys comes inside to show Jess a new article that says that Blake had painted himself as a, quote, former victim of justices. 
because justice punched him in the face. Yeah, and that was deserved. Yeah, but but Blake is making it seem like, well, he just like came into my house on my birthday and punched me in the fucking face and left. So Just immediately leaves Martell because he knows now that he doesn't want to strike back or anything and that this life is not for him. That's good. That's good. I mean, I you can understand though why why there's you know so much rage that you would want to strike back. Like you can, you it's palpable. So Just immediately heads straight for SJ's house where he admits to SJ that he tried to join a gang today. He's like, so I tried to, I tried to join, to join a gang. I can't fucking talk. Mm-hmm. And he starts to talk about all of his fears and starts crying in her arms. That's really cute. And then after he finishes, he and SJ confess that they're in like for each other. Aww. They like, like so, each other. So then why did she turn away from him? Because she wasn't sure if he was still seeing Milo, Milo, Milo. whatever her name Has is. Has she come back into this at all? Eh, a little bit, but he doesn't date her anymore. Okay. Well, they were off and on to begin with. They you were said. off and on yeah. to begin with, but then he's like, I don't have time for this. I like this girl SJ instead. She's super cute. Good. So they're in like for each other, and they admit how stupid they both they both were for being so avoidant of each other, and then I put a little heart emoji, because they're so <laughs> cute. So... At his high school graduation, Just gets approached by detectives to be questioned about a fire that had been started at the Tyson's house. Evidently, three suspects were caught and two had named Just as an accomplice. These were guys from the Black Jihad. But the third one was like, I don't even know who you're talking about. But Just has an airtight alibi, so nothing comes of it because he's like, well, I was... At first, his mom was like, well, he was with me. And Jess was like, no, I wasn't. I was with my girlfriend and her parents because we were celebrating her parents' wedding anniversary. And his mom is like, fucking girlfriend? Who? What girlfriend are you talking about? (laughs) And then he's like, "Um, I'm dating SJ. And she's like, I'm disappointed in you, son. I got... (laughs) He literally is like, I don't understand why you don't like her. She encourages me to be a better man and she's like no the only person that can make you a better man is yourself like i i understand that she's trying to instill self-confidence in him but then she's like there's a lot of really nice smart black girls out there that you could definitely be with and he's like but i don't want them i want sj yeah like she's nice to me she's been the only one to be supportive of me throughout this whole bullshit yeah like i don't understand why you can't just accept her parents parents be like that though yeah well his mom is just like well I'm never going to accept her, but, you know, you do you. Yeah. So now we head to the courtroom where Joss is being questioned about his involvement with the Black Jihad because this is Tyson's trial. Oh, okay. Because Tyson had been arrested. Yes, okay. So So he's a witness. Yeah. Okay. He's a witness. Joss struggles to get his answers out in between the accusatory questions from the DA because the DA brings up the Halloween costume Mm-hmm. Just hitting Blake, Manny hitting Jared about his arrest, his quote arrest for helping out his drunk girlfriend. Yeah. And Manny's cousin, Quan, and like that whole coincidence. Uh, yeah. And because I don't know why Just would do this, it was really dumb, but he admits to going to the Black Jihad. Like, literal days before the tyson's house was set on fire boy has such a conscience i know like he's struggling the whole time because he's like i want to tell the truth but then the truth keeps 
keeps getting bent in a wonk ass way. Yeah. Like this DA is coming for him. Yeah. And like, it's really unfortunate because I, I know what it's like to be in that position. I've had to do that myself, not for a situation anywhere near this. I'll go into it at a later date, maybe someday, but I've been in this position where I've had to be on a witness stand and I've been torn apart by the defense attorney because they have to. Yeah. Well, yeah. they don't have to. They could go find themselves a different job. But well, no, it's it is part of their job, though. No, like I know. it's their I job. Know it is. But I, know. I mean, it just it's really difficult because everything that you say, it's a shark tank. I yeah. mean, you're everything that you say is completely bent in the wrong direction. They don't let you get your answers out. Yeah, and yeah. that's like what they're trained to do. Unfortunately, like yeah. the it's all about perception. The per the DA in in my particular case, my particular situation, had actually come and apologized to me. He was like, this was oh, this was wow. solely my job. Please don't ever think that I accused you of these things in any way. He was actually really nice. So shout out you. So after all of this, the jury had found Tyson to be guilty on three of four charges and was convicted of two misdemeanors, um, disorderly conduct and discharge of a pistol near a highway and of sexual, uh, not sexual, of aggravated assault. <laughs> The jury had been unable to reach a consensus on regarding the felony murder charge, and a mistrial was declared. For the whole thing. For the whole thing. <sighs> but go- luckily, Tyson is like still in custody. It's Well, it's not the whole thing. It's just the felony murder charge. Okay, so he's still convicted of the other charges. Yeah, he's still convicted okay. of, the mis- of the two misdemeanor charges and of the aggravated assault, but okay. it's the murder charge that's been called as a mistrial yeah because while there's no evidence to support that justice and manny had weapons pointed at tyson there was no evidence there was there's no like physical evidence it was just like random witness statements from the street and of and tyson's um statement there is reasonable doubt yes okay thank you you watch a lot of Law and, Law and Order, I see. I don't. I oh, listen okay. to a lot of true crime podcasts. <laughs> um, so Jess is obviously heartbroken because he's yeah. like, I have to go through all of this again in six months when they have a new trial. I will have, you know, already started college at Yale and, you know, started my life with my girlfriend and like. And it's just all pulling him back to these old memories. Yeah, to this and old, he's yeah. like, I just want to be done with it. Like, yeah. I'm heartbroken enough that I lost my best friend. Like, what What the fuck else could go wrong? Yeah. Just um, decides to hang out with SJ, and they're, like, being all nasty and cute. and Not nasty in, like, a way, but, like, nasty as in, like, ew, you guys are gross because you're in love. Yes, okay. Because they're planning out how he's going to be at Yale, and she's going to Columbia, and they're going to, like figure out how they're they can going see to each nice, other. Nice schools. I because they're both mad smart. Mad smart. When SJ's mom gets a call because she's just his attorney because Garrett Tyson has been murdered in his jail cell by three other inmates. Yep. Da, 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 <laughs> Sorry, should we not be celebrating that he got murdered? Uh, no. Why? No, I'm sorry. I'm. So- oh. <laughs> no, I'm just. I'm thinking. <laughs> hashtag Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> I mean, right? No, but yeah, good. I mean, I think that's justice served. 
justice served justice for justice. Served. Yes. <laughs> so the final letter to Dr. King from Justice is dated like almost an entire year after his first letter. So all of this shit that has happened to Justice has happened over the course of one year. Yeah. His senior year. Believe that. Yeah. It's like, insane. The worst senior year on record. Yeah. Um, and he talks to Dr. King about his new life at Yale and questions what the whole what his whole purpose behind this quote experiment was. Because it had begun with him wanting to be a better person to live more like Dr. King. Yeah. But after the last year of his life, he's like got a new open eye because now he's noticing when he's being racially profiled and that had never been something that he had had to worry about before. Yeah. Now he's seeing it more and more and he's seeing more prejudice. It has. It's opened his eyes to the injustices of the world. So sad. (laughs) But yeah, but he thanks Dr. King for like this whole letter because he has like a composition notebook that he had been using to write to Dr. King. Yeah. So there's an epilogue four months later. Just sees Jared standing over Manny's grave. Jared has been crying and is heartbroken that his friend has died and like talks to Jess about how it really hasn't set in that like Manny isn't going to be the best man at his wedding, isn't going to be the godfather to his children. Like it's something that like you never saw this side of Jared. It was it was like you were being a racist asshole this whole time but you were actually really close with me. He was actually really close with Manny. He was just being a dumb kid. He was just being a dumb kid. And it's his parents' fault that he was yeah. acting that way. Yeah. But um they're act- and Jared is actually going to yell with Jess. Okay. <laughs> so um Jared tells Jess that he's planning to become a civil rights lawyer and had even started taking an African American studies course to learn more about his best friend, his late best friend. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that but i do want to read the author's note at the very end of the book because i found it to be incredibly powerful it's like a page okay so this is from nick stone dear reader i didn't really intend to write this book frankly i was afraid to even try There was a lot going on in our nation at the time, protests over the shooting death of Michael Brown in Missouri, the choking death of Eric Garner in New York, Michael Dunn's second trial and murder conviction in the shooting death of Jordan Davis in Florida, and I was just trying to sort through my feelings about all of it. I didn't think I could do the topic justice. I didn't want to dishonor the fallen by failing to do it justice. Since I grew up with a dad who was a police officer, I struggled to reconcile what I knew of him and his former colleagues with the men in uniform who had taken the lives of unarmed civilians. But the idea wouldn't let me go. And it wouldn't let let go of the nation either. Protests erupted across the country, the Black Lives Matter, Matter movement cranked up, and suddenly people everywhere were quoting Dr. Martin Luther King. I wondered, what would Dr. King say and do if, we, if he were living in our present social climate? How would his teachings hold up now? I sent my friend and mentor, Jody Picoult, an, an off-the-cuff, quote, pitch for Dear Martin. Jody was working on Small Great Things, a novel that dealt with American race relations, so I thought she could give me some good advice. She loved it and encouraged me to keep writing. 
So this is why I created Justice, Justice McAllister's story, the events of his high school senior year, and why he started writing to Dr. King. And his realization that while the answers can be hard to come by, the point is to find the courage to ask the questions in the first place. I hope this journey will give you a way to identify your own questions and answers. So I found that to be really relevant. Yeah. Um, and because, we, we know what events now. Yeah, we well, we know what events now, but also I learned a lot from this book and from this episode in general. So I'm. it's like I said at the beginning, it's not lost on me. I'm white. I know that I have more privilege than others. Yeah. And it's awful and it's sad and I hate it. But kind of like when we did the um, teen angst episode and I had talked about Sarah Sadie and her situation, it was kind of the same thing where I didn't know any of that was going on because I, I grew, I grew up in a very isolated, sheltered area, this suburb of Dallas that just really the high school that I grew up in just really wasn't that bad, I guess, compared to other schools and other things that schools have gone through. Um, so it was just something that I learned a lot from this book about just the experiences that teenagers go through. Yeah. I find that to be awful that a teenager had to go through this. And this is based on true events. That's yeah. what fucks me up the most is that yeah. an actual teenager had to live through this. And that's just awful. And I hate it. Um, I'm getting emotional. I'm sorry. Because I I just hate that some kid had to go through this. Yeah. So what's the best, worst part of the book? Um, I guess my favorite part would be when Blake gets uppercut for wearing for the wearing clan a Klansman outfit. Yeah. And I, I personally, sorry, I don't usually interject on like your your analysis. No, you're good. But I I appreciated what Nick Stone did with Jared. At yes, the end. I did appreciate what she did with him. I was actually going to talk about that in my what character did I like the best and least. I liked Jared the least through the whole book. And then the last the last page, I liked him the best because it was one of those things that was like you really didn't know what type of person he was this whole time because he kind of just had like that preppy, you know, popular boyfriend. But then you actually see behind that that he actually Manny actually meant he a great saw, deal to him. Yeah, he he saw the consequences of his actions and yeah. how yeah. Um would I recommend this book? Absolutely. I want to read it. Absolutely positively. Please read this fucking positively. book. Positively. Please read this book. <laughs> um one thing to note, so remember Quan Banks? Yeah. There's actually a book called Dear Justice that is being released on September 29th. 2020 this month okay which is the sequel to dear martin and tells the story of vernell laquan banks aka Quan, and his story of how he ended up in jail for a murder charge oh so there might be more to that too there is more to that okay i wanted to leave the i went to go look at the summary for this book and it tells a lot but i wanted to purposefully leave it at a, at a click cliffhanger so everyone will go and read it Okay. Because I'm going to read it because I'm excited. We part do. Part de. Part de. But yeah, so go read Dear Justice releases on uh, September 29th. Um, you mean Dear Quan? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dear sorry, Justice. Sorry. Dear Justice. And also Dear Martin, please read this book. It's currently free on Kindle Unlimited, so go ahead. Um, nice. Yeah. All right. So 
What is our next episode, Kobe? Oscar Gold. Oscar Gold. We're going to be both choosing books that were Academy Award winners. And uh, I'm interested to see how my book turns out. I haven't started it yet. So. I haven't started. I haven't even picked a book, if I'm being honest. <laughs> oh I was going to... Well, okay. Funny story. I was going to choose this one book, but it's way too heavy. Okay. We've done two heavy episodes yeah, in a so row. Yeah, so I was so. like... Mm. <laughs> Yeah, let's Can I tell tr- you what it was going to be? Sure. I was going to do Schindler's List. Uh, and then I was like, better not. Yeah. <laughs> That's mad not. heavy about the Holocaust and shit after the last two episodes. Yeah. So. So. But yeah, we're doing Oscar Gold next. Tune in. Yay. All um, right. And this is. Yeah. So this is booked on a feeling, guys. <laughs> this is always the awkward part. Okay. Love you guys. Love you. Bye. Bye.